we're going to spend about 20 minutes reading through scripture and then we'll spend another 20 to 30 minutes uh we spend 20 30 minutes reading scripture and spend another 20 to 30 minutes just reflecting on the scripture to hear what the what god is saying and the three questions that we're asking is we're asking what is god revealing concerning himself okay that's the first question what is god revealing concerning himself the second question is what is god revealing concerning people and the third question is what is god revealing concerning you god loves you too brother god loves you too what is god revealing concerning you man daniel that's so encouraging to hear we are a family here this is a family now we've become a family all centered around growing in the grace of god through his word so we're going to pray and we're going to ask those three questions and then we're going to engage with the word of god father we bless you today um we thank you for giving us this opportunity to um, engage in your word um, what a privilege it is that uh, you've given us this word lord that we would know who you are that we would discover who you are and lord that we would uh, contemporaneously discover who we are in you father thank you for uh, the truth of your word and the power of your word and the faithfulness that you have expressed to us that through the reading of your word lord you transform our hearts and so bless us lord god as we engage in this and we ask that in your name we pray Amen. Leviticus chapter 12. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, if a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As in the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. On the eighth day, the flesh of the foreskin shall be circumcised. Then, shall then sorry she shall then continue in the blood of her purification for 30 days she shall not touch any hallowed thing nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled but if she bears a female child then she shall be unclean two weeks as in her customary impurity and she shall continue in the blood of her purification 66 days when the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether for son or daughter, she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering and the young pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her and she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who has born a male or a female. And if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons as one as a burnt offering and the other as a scent offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her and she will be clean. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when a man has on the skin of his body a swelling, a scab or a bright spot, and it becomes on the skin of his body like a leprous sore. Then he shall be brought to Aaron, the priest, or to one of his sons, the priest. The priest shall examine the sore on the skin of the body. And if the hair on the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a leprous sore. When the priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean, then the priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. But if the bright spot is white on the skin of his body and does not appear to be deeper than the skin, and its hair has not turned white, then the priest shall isolate the one who has the sore seven days. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day, 
And indeed, if the sore appears to be as it was, and the sore has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall isolate him another seven days. Then the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And indeed, if the sore has faded and the sore has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only a scab and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scab should not should at all spread over the skin and he has been seen by the priest for his cleansing, he shall be seen by the priest again. And the priest sees the scab has indeed spread on the skin and the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is leprosy. Hmm. When the leprous sore is on a person, then he shall be brought to the priest. And the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the swelling on the skin is white, and it has turned the hair white, and there is a spot of raw flesh in the swelling, it is an old leprosy on the skin of his body. The priest shall pronounce him unclean, and shall not isolate him, for he is unclean and if the leprosy breaks out all over the skin if the leprosy covers all the skin of the one who has the sore from his head to his foot wherever the priest looks then the priest shall consider and indeed if the leprosy has covered all his body he shall pronounce him clean who has the sore it has all turned white he is clean Hmm. but when the raw flesh appears on him he shall be unclean and the priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him to be unclean for the raw flesh is unclean. It is leprosy. Or if the raw flesh changes and turns white again and he comes to the priest and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the sore has turned white, then the priest shall pronounce him clean who has the sore. He is clean. If the body develops a boil in the skin and it is healed. And in the place of the boil, there comes a white swelling or a bright spot, reddish white. Then it should be shown to the priest. And if when the priest sees it, it indeed appears deeper than the skin and his hair is turned white, the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous sore which has broken out of the boil. But if the priest examines it and indeed there is no white hairs on it and it is not deeper than the skin but it has faded, then the priest shall isolate him seven days. And if it should be spread all over the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous sore. But if the bright spot stays in one place and has not spread, it is the scar of the boil, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. Or if the body receives a burn on its skin by fire, and the raw flesh of the burn becomes a bright spot, reddish white or white, When the priest shall examine it, and indeed, if the hair of the bright spot has turned white and it appears deeper than the skin, it is leprosy broken out in the burn. Then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous sore. But if the priest examines it, and indeed are no white hairs in the bright spot, and it is not deeper than the skin, but it has faded, then the priest shall isolate him seven days, and the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. If it has spread all over the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous sore. But if the bright spot stays in one place and has not spread on the skin, but has faded, it is a swelling from the burn. The priest shall pronounce him clean, for it is a scar from the burn. If a man or a woman has a sore on the head or the beard, and the priest shall examine the sore, and indeed, if it appears deeper than the skin, and there is in it thin yellow hair, 
then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a scaly leprosy of head or beard. But the priest examines the scaly sore, and indeed, it does not appear deeper than the skin, and there is no black hair in it. And the priest shall isolate the one who has the scale seven days. And on the seventh day, the priest shall examine the sore, and indeed, if the scale has not spread, and there is no yellow hair in it, and the scale does not appear deeper than the skin, <laughs> the, uh, he shall shave himself. But the scale he shall not. But the scale he shall not shave. And the priest shall isolate the one who has a scale another seven days. And on the seventh day, the priest shall examine the scale. And indeed, if the scale has not spread over the skin and does not appear deeper than the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. Hmm. But if the scale should spread all over the skin after his cleansing, then the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the scale has spread over the skin, the priest shall not seek for yellow hair he is unclean but if the scale appears to be at a standstill and there's black hair growing up on it the scale has healed he is clean and the priest shall pronounce him clean if a man or a woman has bright spots on the skin of the body specifically white bright spots the priest shall look and indeed if the bright spots of the, on the skin of the body are dull white it is a white spot that grows on the skin he is clean as for the man Whose hair has fallen from his head, he is bald, but he is clean. He, he whose hair has fallen from his forehead, he is bald on the forehead, but he is clean. And if there is on the bald head a bald forehead of reddish white sore, it is a leprosy breaking out on his bald head or his head or his bald forehead. Then the priest shall examine it indeed if the swelling of the sore is reddish white on his bald head or on his bald forehead. As, a lep as the appearance of leprosy on the skin, he is a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest shall surely pronounce him unclean. His sore is on his head. Now, the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare. And he shall, un he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean all the days he has the sore. He shall be unclean. He is unclean and shall dwell alone. And his dwelling shall be outside the camp. Also, if the garment has a leprous plague on it, whether it is a woolen garment or linen garment, garment, whether it is in the warp or the woof of linen or wool, whether in leather or in anything made of leather, and if the plague is greenish or reddish in the garment or in the leather, whether in the warp or in the woof, or in anything made of leather, it is a leprous plague and shall be shown to the priest and the priest shall examine the plague and isolate that which has the plague seven days. And he shall examine the plague on the seventh day. And if the plague has spread in the garment, either in the wharf or the woof, in the leather or in anything made of leather, the plague, the plague is an active leprosy. It is unclean. That's very interesting. He shall therefore burn that garment in, in which is the plague, whether warp or woof, in wool or in linen or in anything of leather, for it is an active leprosy. The garment shall be burned in the fire. But if the priest examines it, and indeed the plague has not spread in the garment, whether in the warp, warp or woof or in anything made of leather, then the priest shall command that they wash the thing in which is the plague. 
and he shall isolate it another seven days. And the priest shall examine the plague after it has been washed. And indeed, if the plague has not changed its color, though the plague has not spread, it is unclean. And you shall burn it in the fire. It continues eating away, whether the damage is outside or inside. If the priest examines it, and indeed the plague has faded after washing it, then he shall tear it out of the garment, whether out of the warp or out of the wolf or out of the leather. But if he, but if it appears again in the garment, whether in wharf or wolf, or in anything made of leather, it is spreading. It is a spreading plague. You shall burn it with fire. <laughs> and which is the plague? And if you wash the garment, either warp or wolf or whatever is made of leather, if the plague has disappeared from it, then it shall be washed a second time, and shall be clean. This is the law of the leprous plague, of the garment of wool or linen, either in warp or woof, or anything made of leather, to pronounce it clean or to pronounce it unclean. There's so much there. Chapter 14. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Then shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priests. And the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and two and clean birds, cedarwood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. <laughs> he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, wash himself in water that he may be clean. And after that, he shall come into the camp and shall stay outside the tent seven days. But on the seventh day, he shall shave all the hair off his head and his beard and his eyebrows. All his hair shall t sh he shall shave off. He shall wash his clothes, wash his body in water, and he shall be clean. And on the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb for the first year without blemish, three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering and one log of oil. Then the priest who makes him clean shall present the man who is to be made clean and those things before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall take one male lamb and offer it as a trespass offering and the log of oil and wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb in the in the place where he kills the sin offering and the burnt offering in a holy place. For as a sin offering is the priest, so is the trespass, trespass offering. It is most holy. The priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering and the priest shall put it on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. And the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it on the palm of his own hand. And the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand 
and shall sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord, and of the rest of the oil in his hand. The priest shall put some on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, on the blood of the trespass offering, the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. Then the priest shall offer a sin offering and make atonement for him to be cleansed from his uncleanliness. Afterwards, he shall kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. So the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be clean. Uh-oh. Sorry. I just, my page just flipped. Give me a second. All right. There it is. Um, I'll, I'll start there. Um, and the priest shall pour some of the oil into the palm of his own hand. And the priest shall sprinkle with his right finger uh, some of the oil that is in his left hand seven times before the Lord. Verse 28. And the priest shall put some of the oil in his right hand and on the tip of his ear uh, on him who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot on the place of the blood of the trespass offering. The rest of the oil that's in the priest's hands, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed and make atonement for him before the Lord. And he shall offer one of the turtle doves and two pigeons such as he can afford, such as he's able to afford. The one as a sin offering, the other as a burnt offering with grain offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him who is to be cleansed before the Lord. This is the law for one who has a leprous sore who cannot afford the usual cleansing. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when you have come into the land of Canaan, in which I gave you as a possession, and I put the leprous plague in the house in the land of your possession, and he who owns the house comes and tells the priest saying, it seems to me that there is some plague in this house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes into it to examine the plague that is in the house that is in the house may not be clean, sorry, may not be made unclean. And afterward, the priest shall go in to examine the house. And he shall examine the plague. And indeed, the plague is on the walls of the house within grain streaks, greenish or reddish, which shall be, which, which shall appear to be deep in the wall. And the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house, shut up the house seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look, and indeed, if the plague has spread on the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take away the stones in which is the plague. And they shall cast them into an unclean place outside the city. And he shall cause the house to be scraped inside all around and dust, dust that they scrape off. They shall pour into an unclean place outside the city. Then they shall take other stones and put them in place of those stones and shall take other mortar and plaster in the house. Now, if the plague comes back and breaks out in the house, after he has taken away the stones, after he has scraped the house, and after it is plastered, then the priest shall come and look. And indeed, if the plague has spread in the house, it is an active leprosy in the house. It is unclean. And he shall break down the house, its stones, its timber, and all the plaster in the house, and shall carry them outside the city to an unclean place. Moreover, he who goes into the house 
at all while it is shut up shall be unclean until evening. He who lies down in the house shall wash his clothes, and he who eats in the house shall wash his clothes. Hmm. But if the priest comes in and examines it, and indeed the plague has not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean because the house, sorry, because the plague is healed. And he shall take the and he shall take to cleanse the house two birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. And he shall kill one of the birds in an earthen vessel over running water. And he shall take the cedar wood, the hyssop, the scarlet, scarlet, and the living bird, and dip them in the blood of the slain bird and in the running water, and sprinkle the house seven times. And he shall cleanse the house with blood of the bird and the running water and the living bird and the cedar wood, the hyssop and the scarlet. Then he shall let the living bird loose outside the city in the open field and make atonement for the house and it shall be clean. This is the law for any leprous sore or scale for the leprosy of the garment of the, of the, of a garment and of a house for a swelling and a scab and a bright spot. And look what it says in the last verse to teach when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law of leprosy. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this word. Um, it's a lot to unpack here. Uh, of course, we're not afforded that time. I, I, as I'd mentioned before. I always had this temptation to go to like Bible study and, you know, kind of break down some things. Uh, But I believe what's most important in our time together is, is to learn how to read in such a way that we're hearing from God when we read. Okay. Uh, We read often trying to garner and gain all this information and this knowledge and this insight. But we miss the purpose for the book itself, which is to discover who God is, to discover who we are in him, because it's to discover who God is, is to discover ourselves as well. And so... I read this and I ask these questions and I, you know, I I open up every time with the reading with those three questions, because I want you to discover who God is. I want you to discover who he is. That's really, that's why we're here. I don't want to just give you some insight, some information, and then you get the insight, you get the information. You're like, wow, this was good information. And you leave with information and you leave not knowing God. That's, that's, that's backwards. And so what I want to teach you as well is, is how you discover God through the time that you spend in his word. Prayerfully, as I'm reading this, I'm asking, and I've read Leviticus. I don't know. I can't think of how many times I've read through it. And it's an incredible book. I used to hate this book. Now, it's one of the books that I, I enjoy. I don't know if there's a book in the Bible that I don't enjoy. Um, but or, or that I say, oh, I don't really like that one that much. Um, I enjoy uh, the word, but now it's becoming one of those ones that I really, 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 really enjoy. 
and 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 that that's of course in contrast to you know what I've what, how I felt before about this this book. I used to hate this book. I used to think this book, man, this book is pointless. Why do we even read it? You know, uh, this is old covenant. These are a bunch of rules. These are a bunch of laws that 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 don't even apply. I don't even know if this apply like this. Like who who does these things? We shouldn't. I'm, I'm, I don't see why we need to do those things. So I've always had that. I've ho- I've always had that. And then of course I'm a guy who loves you know uh, poetry and, and you know the poetic and, and and the prose of of writing. And, and so for me, I I hate really dry. Uh, and that's coming from a guy who has a PhD in economics. So this might sound weird that I say it this way, but I, I hate this sort of um, um, legalistic dry writing. Okay. Like I couldn't make it as a lawyer. And I, I, you know, I, I commend the, those who are in, you know, in those fields because I had all those books and, and case studies. And for me, they just, they're not my thing, you know, they're just not my thing. So reading Leviticus that way can become very, very dry. It becomes this thing that you're not really that interested in or that passionate about. So anyway, that's to say that I, when I finally discovered what this really was about, maybe that's what I need to do with the legal books. But when I really discovered what this is actually about, it's this incredible book. It's a beautiful book. It's a book that um, uh, should encourage you because what we see is happening here in this book is is we're seeing how God is unpacking a system um he's developing a legal system for how we can be freed from the law itself Leviticus is in very many ways if I were to say it in a different way you'll see me say this in different ways but Leviticus is really a book about the contingency of the law. It's the law, but it's a law that has a contingency and the contingency is in the law itself. And so these contingencies is what really gives me encouragement because I read it now. I don't read it like a book of rules. I read it like a preparation of a contingency for when those rules are broken. And sometimes we read the Bible like it's a bunch of rules or like it's a book of rules, not realizing that it's through the law itself that God is showing you that in the law, he does the work to accomplish what we cannot accomplish in the law. It's a book that has the contingencies, not the rules. (laughs) You see, the thing that I've, and I'm going to iterate this over and over again is what God wants is for people to be in his presence. He wants his people to be in his presence. He wants his people to be in him and he wants his people to represent him. But these people, in order for them to represent him and to be in him and to have the presence of God with them and to be in the presence of God would have to be holy. We read this before when he says, be holy for I am holy. I'm just going back through Leviticus here. I want to walk you through this. He says, be holy for I am holy. He's saying that you need to be perfect. You need to be separate. You need to be like me for I am holy. And so he gives them the law 
that allows them or that shapes them or that forms them or that declares them to be holy. It gives them these rules, you know, you, you know, the Ten Commandments. And we start seeing all these laws that are being instituted by God for these particular people that he set apart to be his representatives. And yet these people fall short. And yet God still wants these people to be in his presence. So then what God does is in Leviticus is he's establishing a framework for how he takes unholy people who continually mess up and continually make mistakes for how he brings an unholy people and unrighteous people into his presence. Do you see that? That, 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 That's really the purpose for Leviticus. When you read Leviticus, do not read Leviticus as if it's a book of rules for you. You read Leviticus as a law that was written for a people that God set apart, the children of Israel. This letter was written to the children of Israel who he set apart to be the nation of priests that would show the world what God would look like. And and, and the way that they would show the world what God would look like is by following God's law. They were chosen not to have power over people. They were chosen to reveal God to people. Anybody with me there? They were chosen not to have power over people. They were chosen to reveal God to people. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. So they were chosen to reveal God. That's why they exist. That's, that, that is why God instituted this law. So if you're going to reveal God, then you need to follow these laws. And yet they fall. They fall. They continue to fall over and over and over and over again. This is all about the presence of God. This is all about the representation of God and how God's people need to be in order to be in his presence and to represent him. So we're in a part of the book of Leviticus now, right? We talked about strange fire yesterday, how the priests came into uh, Aaron's sons came into the presence of God with strange fire. Strange fire means they came with profane fire. They came with imp- they, they came with profane fire, profane fire being fire that came from outside the temple rather than garnering from the fire that was in the temple. And in the end, God consumed them with the fire of his presence. We talked about this yesterday, that the presence of God can bring healing to one person and hell to another. The presence of God can bring deliverance to one person and bring wrath to another. The presence of God can restore a person and and contemporaneously destroy a person. The presence of God is not something that we ought to play with. And yet, these men came in as representatives of God and they infracted upon the presence of God, coming in with strange fire. Notice, as we talked about yesterday, that the presence of God was not about the rules. How do we know that? Because there were the other priests in the same chapter, right? Before that, that, in that same chapter that we read, there were priests that were consumed by the fire of God because they came with strange fire. And yet there were priests who didn't fulfill the rules and broke those rules. 
And yet while Moses was disappointed with them, the fire of God did not consume them. Meaning, it wasn't the fire, it, it wasn't the rules or the breaking of the rules that destroyed them. It was the fact that they brought their own glory into the mix. They brought their own agenda into the mix. They brought their own power, their own thinking into the mix. So they didn't come before God with the humility of God's holiness, knowing that it was by the grace of God that they were given access to the presence of God. They came to God with their own agenda as if God somehow exists to serve them, as if God somehow um, is glorified along with them. God does not share glory. Let me say that one more time. God does not share glory. Family, God does not share glory. Either we give it all to him or he or 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 <laughs> I always say this if we somehow think that God um is going to share his glory with us, he will get all the glory through even our pain and our suffering. He will get glory through simply the appropriation and the administration of his holiness. That's who God is. God is not going to share his glory with anyone. All right. So that's leading up to this point that what we're seeing now is a shift in the text and stay with me because this is going to be really important. And this is what I, I believe God's really speaking into today is we see now, as we read through, we read uh, um, Leviticus 11. We read the food laws. Remember the, the, all those food laws? Um, foods that they could eat or could not eat. Remember, that was for them, not for us. Remember that. It was written to them, not to us. It was written to them to set them apart. And so these are now what we call, um, we'll call them the the purification uh, practices. The, the the purification. Call, call it the, the, the ritual practices of purification. They practice this to set themselves apart for purification. We see in Leviticus chapter 12, right? The rituals that were practiced after childbirth for the woman who gives birth, that if she is still the, 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 the least common denominator in, in both having the, bo- the male child and the female child is that there's a flow of blood. And if there's a flow of blood in the woman, she's considered to be unclean. Um, it's a form of hemorrhaging, right? And so she's considered to be unclean. And so once that flow has been stopped, then she can make a sacrifice and the priest will make atonement for her and she will be made clean. So now there's a distinction between clean and unclean. There's clean women and there's unclean women. That sounds kind of weird, right? Ish. Ooh, uh, cool. Gotcha. Let's stay with it. Clean women, unclean women. Then we get into the law of leprosy. This is now not clean women and unclean women, but this is clean people and unclean people. That there were people who were who were literally declared to be unclean. We read this, and one thing that really sticks out to me is that when they've been diagnosed as unclean, as we read in the chapter that they were to actually declare and to shout out and to utter and to iterate over over and over again to everyone around them that they were unclean. 
contrast now between clean people and unclean people. Clean people could stay, but unclean people had to be isolated. Now, people can talk about the practical element of this, right? There's some pragmatism in this. The pragmatism is, is we're practicing this now. It's called quarantine. If you have the coronavirus, right, you have to quarantine for a certain period of time, right? And after you quarantine for a certain period of time, right, if you get tested and you're tested positive, you quarantine. That's what it is. It's the same principle when you think about it between being clean and unclean. It's to avoid this disease spreading throughout the entire community, you must be isolated, clean and unclean. But one thing I find really interesting is in the examination itself. That when all the rules have been placed, and, and leprosy, by the way, side note, guys, leprosy was a very odd disease in that time. Okay, it's a very, very odd disease. Okay, it was mystical to the Hebrews. Let me make sure you remember, we're reading this from the Hebrew perspective. It's mystical to the Hebrews. Leprosy was just a weird thing. They didn't know where it came from. They couldn't see how it, how it came about. They saw what it would do to someone's body. They saw that it had a way of being contagious, that one person could affect the other person. They saw what it would do to the skin and to the face. Leprosy was a horrific disease. Let me sit on that for a minute because we're distinguishing now not just the people in God, but the people amongst themselves. Remember, I'm asking God, God, what are you saying about people? And it says something and it speaks into the, the profound uh, implications of having a disease like leprosy. Nowhere in this text where we read it, and you'll read about leprosy all throughout the Bible. Leprosy is something you're going to read all the way throughout because it's a very odd, odd disease. But leprosy Never, nowhere do I see in the scriptures that leprosy was a was a life threatening disease. Stay with me now. Unlike the coronavirus, which is a life which can be life threatening, right? Which is the reason why they asked us to quarantine because they because some people have died from the coronavirus. Leprosy wasn't one that was, uh, at least on a broad level, seen as a as a as a lethal disease. It wasn't a lethal disease. It didn't kill anyone. But the one thing that leprosy did was, is it caused extreme discomfort and it ruined your visage. It ruined your facade. It ruined how you looked. It ruined your face. The most beautiful people would catch this disease and become some of the most horrific looking people. The disease was, it was just, it was a, it was a, it was an ugly disease. And I find that peculiar about the nature of leprosy because leprosy is a kind of disease that will make beautiful people ugly. Leprosy is the kind of disease that when one has it and they are around other people who have it, they influence the other people to become like them. Leprosy has these interesting properties to them that while it may not kill them, 
it can ruin them. And I find often we are as believers afraid of the things that can kill us, but not the things that can ruin us. Like we live a life wanting to know whether we can go to heaven or hell, but we don't realize the implications of what it means to be afflicted with a disease that causes ruin, not only to yourself, but a ruin to other people. Leprosy was an isolating disease. It was a disease that when it came, it would change how people saw you. It would change how people perceived you. And if you had leprosy and you were caught with leprosy, notice what it says. Not only were you isolated outside of the camp, but the only people now that you can hang around is other people who have the same disease that you do. I wonder how much parallel there is today with those who have a leprous disease, who have leprous um, countenances, who have leprous personalities, who have leprous intentions, and they wonder why they're only around leprous people. Leprous people can only be around leprous people. Stay here for a minute. <laughs> Let me stay here for a minute. Leprous people can only hang around leprous people. How do I know that? If you are a leprous person, the people that you're around become leprous. Let me say that one more time. If you are a leprous person, the people that you will frequent with will become leprous. And if the healthy people leave you, the only people that can hang around you are leprous people. Leprous people will only be around leprous people. And I've always wondered this and make this a measure of, of analysis for you as you examine this. And I want you to ask yourself a question. Am I a leprous person? One of the indications of whether or not you are a leprous person is to know who's around you. If all you have is a bunch of leprous people around you who have stank personalities, who may be beautiful on the outside, but ugly on the inside, we can get there in a minute, who just have an ugliness about them, who you look at and you go, oh, man, I'm around a bunch of leprous people. If you're around a bunch of toxic people and everything around you is toxic, then nowadays, yes, they call them toxic people, exactly. Then, then in that case, you have to ask yourself a question. Could you be the problem? Ooh. If everybody around you is no good, selfish, ugly, just toxic, cancerous people, leprous people, if, if that's all you're around, the question that I have to ask for you is, is it them on you? Is it that they are a product of you? Could it be that the people that you're around are a product of who you are? Could it be the people that you frequent with are actually a product of who you are? I know they say that you're a product of the people that are around you, but here's the thing. Is it possible that you are the influencer? Leprosy was a weird thing because 
when they examined notice, they weren't simply examining the sores and the boils on the outside. Pay attention, because it tells you that there were those who would have who, who would have sores or who have boils, but they would look and the priest would examine. Notice the priest would go to the leprous person and the priest would examine that person. And, it, and upon examining that person, the priest would look and the priest would determine whether or not the disease was under the skin. Because if the disease was under the skin, then that person would be leprous and then that person would need to be isolated. But if it was on top of the skin, then they would examine to see whether or not, right, uh, the color of the hair, all that other good stuff. Meaning, it wasn't what was on the outside that was the problem. It was whether what was on the outside was a product of what was what was brewing up from the inside. It's it's a, it's an it's an outside environment influencing the body in such a way that the body takes what's on the outside and brings it into the skin on the inside and then now bursts out a boil on the outside. I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. This goes back to what I was speaking about before, about the leaven and the bread. That, that, that back in those days, they didn't have yeast like how we know it. Um, the leaven, and the reason why the Bible's so, you, you notice that there was um, so much emphasis on eating unleavened bread is because the leaven, right, was not like the yeast that we have where we put some yeast in there and then it makes the bread expand and they eat the bread. Though what they would do to make bread expand back in those days is they wouldn't put yeast and then cover it and let the bread expand. They would actually just leave the bread out. And when they left the bread out, the environment would come in and cause now the bread to expand. And so the expanding of the bread came out of the influence of the environment. The environment came inside the bread, influenced the bread, caused the bread to expand, and then they would slice the bread and they would eat it. Now, there was a practical reason for that in, in, in Egypt, when they were in Egypt, because of all the disease and all the plagues that had plagued Egypt. From that moment, God told them to eat unleavened bread because the, the environment was toxic. And because the environment in Egypt was toxic, God said, do not let the bread leaven. The moment that you put the flour, the dough, the salt, and the, you know, um, and the oil together to create the bread, bake it right away. Do not let the leaven in the bread because if you let the toxic environment get into the bread, then the bread itself now becomes toxic. The argument is, is for those who have studied archaeologically or are trying to find archaeological or scientific evidence of what had happened in Egypt, um, some have even surmised that that um, part of what killed so many of the Egyptians was because of the leaven that was in the bread that they ate in the time of the 10 plagues. I, I'm not here to affirm or, or to assert any of that. All this is to say that even when God said, when you leave Egypt, do not leave with the leaven. That is, do not leave with the toxicity of the environment that was in Egypt. It's the environment that got into the bread that caused the bread to expand. And now the bread is reflective of the environment that has come within it. Leprosy, as I'm reading this, is a peculiar disease because leprosy comes from the environment that takes root within the body and then begins to create the sores and the boils all over the skin. Leprosy wasn't like, let's say, for example, a, a rash that you would have on your skin. 
Did you, are you paying attention? Leprosy wasn't a rash. Like, there was something that got on the skin. The skin re, re, reacted to it. And so because the skin reacted to it, it caused a rash. The rash eventually, what does it do? It scabs. After it scabs, the scab goes away and the skin heals. That wasn't what isolated you. It wasn't the boils. Go back and read it again. But the law of the leprosy was really more about what was under the boil. It was looking under the boil to see, is this boil coming from without or is this boil coming from within? And if they saw that the boil was coming from within, then now you are considered unclean. And now whatever is within you can be within someone else. And so we do not want you to infect someone else with whatever is inside of you now. And so you need to isolate until your body goes through and processes whatever is going on inside of it. This is the pragmatism of the leprosy. But look at the, the implications of this disease, that it's the outside environment that infects the person inside that causes the person to be contagious that can now infect those who they're around it's a weird disease and yet it's a disease that we're going to see throughout the entire scripture it's a disease that makes you ugly it's a disease that makes you make people ugly it's a disease that comes out of the fact that you came out from that, that something happened within you that came out of a product of your outward environment that causes you now to be toxic and to be ugly. I love that, Vanessa, that it's not what's out. It's not what comes from outside to the man that defiles him, but it's what's inside that defiles him. And what we're beginning to realize and what the Lord has been revealing. That's why you heard me have those little reactions over and over again as I read it is leprosy is actually a disease from within that came from an influence on the outside. And it has me thinking, because I'm just reflecting today, family. It has me thinking for a moment. When you think about sin, when you think about sin, because everyone here has a struggle. Let me say that one more time. Everyone here has a struggle. All 128 of you who are on here right now and all 15 of you who are in my um, who are in my uh, uh, Facebook group right now? Everyone has a struggle. Everyone. And if anybody says, you know, um, I don't know, I don't deal with any temptations, or I don't deal with any sinful thoughts, and I'm perfect, and I gotta. If you say that, <laughs> you 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 either lying to yourself or you lie to everybody else around you. Everyone here has a struggle. But here's what's peculiar about it is that while everyone has a struggle, no one's struggle is the same. Did you hear that? No one's struggle is the same. Everyone's struggle is different. Everyone's struggle is different. Everyone's struggle is unique. Everyone's struggle is unique. And everyone's struggle comes out of the propensity from within to sin. But the influence on the outside world on that propensity from within. Stay with me, family. I want to make sure you're getting where, where the Lord is leading me to here as I, as I engage in this. 
is we all have been born into sin. We are all sinful from the birth. David says, in sin, my mother conceived me. And yet how that sin takes root comes from the environment that we're in. We are the breeding ground. We're, 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 we are, we're good soil for sin. Right? We're good soil for sin. And yet it's the leaven that comes in that causes the sin to take root and to birth out of us. It's the environment on the outside. You know, two people, that's why you would say, well, I experienced this trauma and this trauma caused me to sin or to live this life of sin. And I say to him that there's a lot of truth to that. But isn't it funny how two people can experience the same exact trauma and both deal with sin struggles that are completely different from each other? Anybody hear what I'm saying? Both of them. And yet, yet the consequence of that is we come in, the sin takes root, it bears this fruit, and now we have this leprous toxicity in us. And what it does is I want, I want you to see the implications of this leprosy. Because notice, leprosy, the weird thing about leprosy was it wasn't like the coronavirus where the disease spreads from people to people. But if a disease goes on an item or on clothes, it eventually dies away. No, it tells us here that the leprous plague can go from garment to garment, wool to wool, leather. It could spread on leather. It was a weird disease. It reminds me of sin. How sin seeps and permeates through everything. Sin permeates through everything in our lives. Everything. Everything. It's a plague that permeates all things. And yet, when that plague hits us, it takes root in us. And out of it comes the boils and the things that we hate to see. And if you notice in the text, it says even their home, like it took the walls of their home and, and it was inside um, of walls. And, and, and in some cases, it was it, it seeped so far into the home that they would just have to take the whole thing apart. They'd have to tear the whole house down and burn it. Because that's how that was that was the nature of this plague that is leprosy. Where am I going with all of this is I want you to be aware because there's some of us who we understand the importance of coming into the presence of God. And and that's what Leviticus is all about is, is the purity that we need to have to be in the presence of God and how it is that we never meet up to it. We never, ever meet up to it. Right. And we see now God's contingency for us to be in his presence we don't get the resolution yet until in two chapters. We're going to stay in this tension. We're going to stay in this tension because we don't get the resolution until chapter 16, until, sorry, chapter 15 and chapter 16. And we're going to see in chapter 17 that there's a resolution now to how we can experience this purity because this purity does not come out of you being a better person. You're already leprous. 
you already got God. And I know there's some people in here who know exactly what I'm talking about. When you find yourself in a toxic situation, there's somebody who knows exactly what I'm talking about. When you find yourself in a toxic environment where you know you're not where you ought to be and you know you're not doing what you ought to do and you know that the only, the only people who are around you are leprous people who are doing things that they ought not to do and, and, and are saying things they ought not to say and are living a way that they ought not to live. And, and so, yes, you, you, you know what that looks like. But what I love about this text is that leprosy is not the end. When they get isolated, that's the thing that leprosy does is your healing comes out of isolation. Some people right now that are saying, okay, I know exactly what pastor's talking about. I've been going through that. I've been dealing with that, struggling with this and struggling with that. First of all, you have to understand that these things have already been paid for. And notice that even the leprous people, when they came back healed, they came back healed, but they came back with scars. They had the scars of the leprosy. But when the priest examined them, the priest declared them healed. In their time of isolation, they found healing. And in their time of isolation, God did the work in healing them and restoring them not because they followed a bunch of rules not because no because they got they got stuck in a bad place in a bad environment was around the wrong person got caught with the wrong thing and yet quarantine for them was not um was not the risk of death it was for the prospect of healing and breakthrough and deliverance when they came back to the priest even when they had the scars even when they go back and read it they might have had the boils, but the priest would examine and look, is the boil from without or is it coming from under the skin? Because if it's coming from under the skin, then there's still something in you that's feeding that thing that's coming out of you. So you got to go back again because what's inside is the problem. But if the priest examines you, and the priest comes to you and says, I'm going to look at, look at the scars. I look and I see, oh, you have the scars. You have some boils still. But I'm looking under the scars and I'm seeing there's nothing from within that's feeding it. It's still healing. Then you are declared clean. Go and present your sacrifice before the Lord. Did you catch that? Did you hear that family? Did you hear that family? It's not how you're going to look on the outside. That's going to lead you to God's acceptance. It's when he looks at you and he sees what's on the inside. That's what's going to lead you to acceptance on the outside. 
People are going to say you look like this. You talk like this. You have done these things. You've done those things. You have, you know, you, you were around these people and you did this stuff and you were. And, and so you're going to hear all these things because people will isolate you. And let me say this side note that isolation for many of you, as painful as it may seem, is a blessing. Isolation for many of you, you may say, why am I alone in this season? Why am I by myself in this season? I feel like I can't find, I don't have any friends. No one understands what I'm going to through. And I know there's some people right now, even now as God's been doing a work in them, as God's been doing a work in their heart, they're realizing that even the leprous people in their lives are distancing themselves. And now they find themselves alone. They find themselves in between the leprous people and they find themselves in between the clean people. The, the, the good Christian folks can't accept you yet because of the scars on your body. But then the leprous people know there's something going on in you that's not allowing you to really connect with them. And so you find yourself alone in isolation. Let me declare this to you right now. For every leprous person or person who's been afflicted by sin, afflicted by leprosy, who says, man, I don't know uh, what's next for me, but I know God is doing something in my life. I came to declare to you that if you are alone and by yourself, you are are in a season of healing. Do not, do not question why you've lost your friends and why people think you're weird and why people don't understand you. And even when you go to the Christian folk, they seem a certain way about you, but then you go back to your other folk and they seem a certain way about you. And you're wondering, hold on a second, how am I going to find, I mean, what's going to happen here? Am I going to be alone all my life? The answer is no, you will not be alone all your life. You're just alone right now in a season because your season of healing requires isolation. And for some of you, you've been asking God to find new people in your life and God is saying, no, 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 you got to do this on your own. There's some things that I want to do with you. There's some things I need to do. Your healing cannot come by your environment, but, but simply by being in my presence. Come boldly before me in my presence and allow me to do the healing in you. God's breakthrough in your life is not going to come by somebody laying hands on you. It's not going to come by somebody calling you somebody who's been redeemed. No, you've already been redeemed. You've been redeemed by the blood of God. He's already given Giving you the sacrifice. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The only thing now is that all that toxicity that came from your environment is now being purged out of you. And maybe those people can't accept you yet on this side. And maybe the people who you used to be with aren't with you anymore, but stay in this space because God is doing something new in you. Now, 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 now make sure you understand where I'm going with this fam is he's not saying all the scars got to go. He's saying, I need to fill you with me. He's not saying that all the scars got to leave and that you're not going to deal with some stuff and you're not going to still No, but now it's on the outside. You see, I'm not talking about people who look washed and cleaned on the outside. I'm talking about the ones who are wrestling with something brewing up on the inside. And God is saying, I want to heal you. I want to fill you with me. So when the priest comes to examine you, he's not examining whether all the boils and scars are gone. He's examining if there's something underneath it that's still feeding it. Because what Jesus does is he suffocates the disease.
I want to close with prayer. But there is someone here who says, listen, I know exactly what pastor is talking about. I've found myself over and over again in toxic situations around toxic people. I know I know exactly what it looks like to be in a community and to be isolated from the community, to be kicked out, put to the side. I know what that feels like. There's some people who say, I know what it, what it feels like to know there's something wrong here if I'm always in these toxic situations and around all these toxic people. There's somebody here who knows exactly what I'm talking about to know that there's something in me that isn't good. I know it and I see it and I feel it. And I don't know what to do from here on out. <laughs> in your time of isolation, he wants to fill you with his spirit. God is not asking you to be healed of all, to, to, to heal yourself of all your scars. No, he's asking to enter into your life. Come with all of it to him. Come with all of it to him. That's what he wants. He wants you. He wants you. Rhonda. He wants you, Rhonda. He wants you. Um, Rhonda, you have had some incredibly moving and powerful experiences when you come to God in prayer. There's a washing that happens. There's a lot of tears that you come before the Lord with, Rhonda. If you're Rhonda, I want you just to raise your hand and let, let people know who Rhonda is here. You have your time in prayer with God because no one wants to acknowledge you as um, a child of God. You're, you're one who's rejected. You've been rejected because of your mistakes. You've been rejected because of your errors. You've been rejected because of your past. Um, there is Rhonda. Did Rhonda raise her hand? There's Rhonda. Good. Um, Rhonda, I see you. And what I see is, is I see you spending, you have these random moments of overwhelming tears that overtake you. And I'm only saying this to you because you've been questioning whether God's with you or not. You actually ask God, where is he? You've been asking, where, where are you, Lord? You've been, you've been asking for peace and you're wrestling and finding that. But you find that kind of peace in those random moments. And what God, the only reason I'm saying this to you is because God wants you to know that there have been times where you go into a closet and you weep. I've seen you in a closet weeping. Um, there are times where you go into your car and you weep and you're wondering and you're speaking to God. You're speaking to God and you're asking God, where are you? Like, where are you in the midst of all of this? Um, I see you. I've seen you on your knees, just on your knees, just on the floor. Um, and asking God, like, where are you? And yet that time that you spend has been, has felt like a washing. That's the word. I think that's, that's coming to me is, is, um, it's a washing. It's almost like you feel like there's a cleansing that's happening there. It's a washing. It's a cleansing that's happening. 
And so you've been wondering, where are you, God? Where are you, Lord? And what the Lord wants you to know is, is he's with you. He has always been with you. He's never left you, nor has he forsaken you. And you come to the Lord too often with shame and guilt because of, you know, what you've done and because of what people have said that you are. You're a person that the, uh, you have a whole community that tried to ruin your reputation. This is what I see. Your reputation has been just ruined because of, because people did not understand you. You got misunderstood. And yet the product of everything you've done has come from your pain. It's come from uh, pain that you've never actually expressed to anyone. Things that you've actually experienced that you've never expressed to anyone. Uh, and and so people don't understand you. They, they don't understand you. They don't get you. And yet you get to enjoy something so much better than what they do. You actually get to enjoy the presence of God. While everybody's judging you and isolating you, God gifts you with his presence. That washing that you're experiencing is God saying, I'm with you. Even now, as you're beginning to hear these words, you there's a warm embrace. I want you to confirm that, but there's a warm a warmth that you feel in your shoulders. Um, that warmth that you feel in your shoulders is God confirming these words to say that you are my daughter. You are my daughter. He's saying, I love you. He's saying, I love you. I've always loved you. I was there. I was there when you were hurt. I was there when you made those mistakes. I know you. I know everything about you. I know what's good in you. I know what's bad in you. I know all of it. You do not need to come to me with shame and guilt. Just come to me as my daughter. (laughs) Rhonda, today is your day of deliverance. Today is your day of freedom. Um, There is a a member in your family that you've been avoiding and you know there's a time coming soon that you're going to be meeting with that member in your family. The Lord is saying you need to forgive them. You need to forgive them. 